Restaurant Unstoppable episode 463 with Carrie Bringle, the peg leg porker. Opportunity comes often, it knocks as often as you have a trained ear to hear it, a trained eye to see it, a trained hand to grasp it, and a trained head trained to use it. And so, uh, you know, opportunities all around us. And it's just a matter of understanding and recognizing that opportunity and keeping an open mind and be ready to pounce on that opportunity when it presents itself to you. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. There is no time to waste in the restaurant business, especially when an opportunity comes up and you need extra capital. Cabbage created a simple, flexible way to get a line of credit of up to $150,000, apply online, and get a decision right away. Withdraw funds when you need them without reapplying. Cabbage has helped over 100,000 small businesses. Get started at cabbage.com slash unstoppable you can get a $50 gift card when you qualify that's cabbage with a k line of credit is subject to credit approval see terms and conditions all cabbage business loans are issued by celtic bank a utah chartered industrial bank member fdic what's sorcery sorcery is ap automation digital invoicing and time and money saved that's Sorcery. Sorcery allows you to streamline and digitize your entire account's payable operation. Digital invoicing backed with human verification will save you countless hours of work and increase AP accuracy. Say goodbye to your file cabinets and enter the digital world. Go to GetSorcery.com. That's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com or call 1-866-830-0691. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you will receive 10% off your first three months with no setup fees. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Carrie Bringle. Carrie, my man, are you feeling unstoppable? Always today? unstoppable. <laughs> yes. Always unstoppable. And we're live on site at Peg Leg Porker, and this place is hobbing. There was just a line to the door. We said this is, a, this is quiet. For this a is Friday. a slow Friday. Yes, wow. something's going on where the, the business in town is just not this weekend. Oh. I, and the, weather, the weather's beautiful. I don't know why yeah. we're slow, but you know. Well, We're this in is slow a, season. This is a slow day. Then you're yeah. doing something right, man. It is, yeah. Uh, so in Nashville, native with native with deep seated roots in West Tennessee barbecue culture, Carrie Bringle developed an appreciation for barbecue at a young age. He would spend much of his young adult life being mentored by his uncle Bruce Bring- Bringle and competing as a comp- uh, geez, as a competitive barbecue. I'm having trouble speaking today, man. Uh, Bringle's famous Peg Leg Porker opened in 2013 to offer Peg Leg Porker sauces, rubs in a new line of professional-grade home smokers, and Peg Leg Porker Tennessee straight bourbon whiskey, and of course, some damn good barbecue. On top of all that, Kerry recently started his own podcast, Peg Leg Porker, live at from the BS or Bullshit Corner. We're sitting which at we're Bullshit sitting Corner. At right now, I literally have the the plaque right here in front of me. Uh, so I'm really excited for this this conversation, man. I can't wait to kind of find out how you built this empire around yourself. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with the success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? Uh, well, I'll tell you, Eric. I was fortunate enough in my life to know Kimmons Wilson, 
who literally invented the hotel chain. Okay. Uh, he started Holiday Inns. Okay. And he was a friend of the family. And so uh, I met Kimmons at a young age and always admired him. He's a true entrepreneur. Kimmons Wilson wrote a book called Half Luck and Half Brains. And uh, he had 20 tips for success. And one of his tips is one of my favorite mantras because I think that it really rings true. Opportunity comes often. It knocks as often as you have a trained ear to hear it, a trained eye to see it, a trained hand to grasp it, and a trained head trained to use it. Nice. And so, uh, you know, opportunity is all around us. And it's just a matter of understanding and recognizing that opportunity and keeping an open mind and be ready to pounce on that opportunity when it presents itself yeah, to and you. I love the title of the book just because of the idea of like half luck, right? But half luck brains. is you, you create that luck by busting your ass and getting out there and meeting people and then creating those opportunities for yourself. It's amazing so, how lucky I get the harder I work. Yeah, right? It's funny <laughs> how that works. I love that saying. Um, so great way to get this thing started. Uh, where did it all start? for you, if you could reflect back to uh, your life in barbecue, I guess. Sure. So my family was all from West Tennessee, actually Tipton County, uh, Covington. My grandfather grew up there. My family had the cotton gin in Covington. I grew up and was born and raised in Nashville. My father and my grandfather both went to Vanderbilt, but my my father stayed in Nashville after he graduated from Vanderbilt. Um, But as I went back to West Tennessee to visit my grandmother all growing up, uh, and my grand, my grandfather and my grandmother, uh, barbecue was something that was really just sort of embedded in our family. Uh, we didn't own a barbecue restaurant, but it was something that was truly valued. And my grandfather was an OBGYN. He delivered a lot of the children of a lot of the West Tennessee barbecue families. And so my grandmother, when I would go visit her in Memphis, she would always take me to all the barbecue places. We have a lake house down at Pickwick Lake. And from Memphis on down to Pickwick in Iuka, Mississippi, we would stop and go to barbecue places along the way. The, the earliest memory that I have of a, of a barbecue place was Lewis's store in Moscow, Tennessee. They had silver dollars embedded in the tile floor, and it just is a vivid memory in my mind. I remember going there with my grandmother and them knowing her and talking to her. And so it, when I was in high school, she would clip every article out of the Commercial Appeal, the local Memphis newspaper that was about barbecue. My uncle competed in the very first Memphis and May World Championship barbecue. Uh, he taught me how to cook uh, barbecue at a young age. I think at 12 years old, he taught me how to smoke a turkey. That okay. was the first thing I learned how to cook. Okay. And so it was just always something that was revered and very important to... Our culture as a yeah. family. Yeah. And that was just, it was beat into my head. Barbecue is important. And this is, this is something to value. And so, although none of them are still alive, they, uh, they would be very proud and ecstatic that we have a successful barbecue restaurant. Beautiful. I mean, I'm curious. Uh, do you need to take a break real quick? To- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Hey, what's going on? This is my wife, Delania. Delania, nice Delania to meet you. Eric. We're in the middle of the podcast. De- Delania just rolled up. In the time that uh, we were uh, getting ready, I think three or four people walked up, and this guy's like a celebrity in his own restaurant. So okay. there's going to be a lot of interruptions. All right, sorry. That's <laughs> no, it. you're no, good, man. Gonna... It's all good. <laughs> um, so That's the only interruption that matters. That's my wife. <laughs> yeah, you got to make time for her. I get She's it. She's got to live with me. We're, I'm going to take this opportunity to reach for my beer. All right, yeah. I have... 
Jameson, Jambo, I'll take another when you get a chance, please. <clears throat> All right. So she doesn't like me to drink his Yazoo Pale Ale. It fucks me up like a football bat. You know? <laughs> awesome, man. Uh, so we'll wait for you to get that beer, and All then right. uh, we'll cheers real quick, and then we'll get back into the conversation. All right. Thank you. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. My wife's family's also home. from West Tennessee. So here's one question I have for you. Do you think it's the food itself that's that's in, in the actual act of cooking or the act of taking what you've done cooking bar- or barbecuing this meat and then sharing it in in you know just the, the the appreciation that people have for what you do for me that's what I that's what I love about this industry it, what about that for you so I'm I'm really vocal about barbecue and about the process of cooking it or. Um, and how it's done and different cookers and techniques. Um, For me, it's all about what hits the plate and whether it's good or not. And it's about the fellowship and the time that you, because barbecue takes so long to cook, it's about spending time with your friends and your family. And it's a whole culture. Barbecue's a lifestyle. Yeah. It's not just a food. It's a lifestyle. And it, it's so much about the, the history of barbecue. It dates back to how mankind first started cooking, throwing Absolutely. meat over a fire. There's so much there to it. Absolutely. And, you know, we have, we're not um, judgmental about barbecue. So a lot of people say, well, if it's not cooked over just all wood all the time, then it's not real barbecue. If it's not done this way, it's not real barbecue. We don't. Uh, we're not that arrogant in our attitude. Okay. There's a lot of different ways to cook barbecue. And, it's a good um, at the end of the day, right? <laughs> it's about what hits your plate. Yeah. And, you know, uh, don't tell me how to cook my barbecue. Judge, You can judge my plate of food all day long. But don't... I'm a pit master. I've been doing this for 35 years. Don't yeah. tell me how to cook it. I know how to cook it. We've cooked every... Me- we've, got, we've got brick pits out front where we shovel coals under hogs and cook them for 24 hours. We have pit. We actually own a company, a smoker company, and we manufacture our own pits. Mm. And we have a highly efficient pit that we've designed that's all charcoal and wood. And then we use uh, Old Hickory smokers and Southern Pride smokers uh, for our uh, commercial production yeah. uh, that are that are wood fired pits that have some gas assist. And you know, sometimes we get shit for that, and people want to say, well, that's not real barbecue. Well, you know what? I'm sorry. Go fuck yourself. I'm, I, we we cook the way that we cook, <laughs> yeah. and we've been named number one dry ribs in the country by some people. Uh, we, 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 it's, it, and it's not really a competition. There's a lot of great barbecue. We, we do an homage here to the rendezvous who invented the dry rib, and Charlie Vergas is actually Greek in origin. We love what they did. We wanted to create the rendezvous of Nashville, okay, and that's what I think that we've done. And um, we don't try and say, uh, you know, we don't compare ourselves to the rendezvous. They're yeah. a different restaurant. Yeah. It's a restaurant I love going to every time I'm in Memphis. We're a different restaurant. We cook the same style of barbecue, and and quite frankly, between the rendezvous and us, we're some of the only people doing a true dry rib in the country. Nice. And uh, that's what we like. We, and so we we value the heritage. We value the tradition. Um, but we also are realistic about feeding the masses. Yeah. On, on some Saturdays, we'll do 2,200 covers. Yeah. And so... It's a good problem to have right yeah, there. Yeah, you know, but, but you have to... If we were shoveling coals and staying up 24 hours, 
first of all, we wouldn't find any employees that want to do yeah, that exactly. here in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. Um, and second of all, it'd be very hard to put out that much food mm-hmm. doing it just that way. So yeah. we use some rotisserie commercial smokers, and we we don't have any shame or any problem in admitting that. Okay. A lot of a lot of barbecue places use these smokers. Yeah. And won't admit to it, you know. <laughs> well, so. I think there's a lot to be said about transparency, and yeah. uh, you know, this is what we do. This is why we do it, and take it or leave it, right? And uh, and I don't think it's been hurting you this point to this point. That, that, hey, that call me out approach to transparency. <laughs> come so, at come at me, bro. <laughs> yeah. So so one thing, uh, you know, I'm tempted to, to go into your history to talk about how you got to where you are today. But when I when I look at your background and who you are and what you've done, I, I see you more as an entrepreneur and not just a barbecue guy. Like you, you got a lot of different things going on. Like you said, you manufacture your own smokers. You got the whiskey. You got the, the different sauces that you're, you're selling. And, and there's a lot going on here uh, but i do want to kind of build up to that point so 12 years old you learn how to smoke um you're you're with your uncle are you competing at this time when did you start joining no. him helping him on the road uh i didn't i mean so he competed in the first memphis in may i've got the apron in in my trophy case a lot of people don't know a woman a woman won that first competition oh, really? a black woman won that first competition her name was bessie and um, she was the very first Memphis and May World Championship nice. cooker. Uh, they had that competition in the parking lot of the Orpheum in Memphis, and it was under a tent, and it smoked everybody out because <laughs> all these people were cooking under there. Uh, my uncle taught me just out of being my uncle and out of being family and cooking together. Um, after that, uh, the first foray into Memphis and May and cooking with a competition team my wife's cousins had a team called the Rolling Wonder Pigs, and I went, I think, in 1991, maybe, and sat in with that team. We got thrown out that year. They had a two-story scaffold, and they had a about a four- or five-year-old boy who had, was holding up a sign and said, show us your tits, and they, did, they didn't like that too much, and they threw us out of the competition. <laughs> I moved to Memphis a few years later, but I, I, when we came back, we had to sit out a year, and then we came back as Hog Wild. And I joined that team with Ernie Meller and Trip Murray as the uh, as the captains of that team, and I cooked with those guys for twelve years. We took uh, second place on three separate occasions at Memphis and May in the shoulder category, and I loved cooking with them and learned a lot from them. Ernie has a, a fabulous catering company in Memphis called Hog Wild, and also a movable feast. And then after 12 years of cooking with those guys, I started my own team. So now this will, this year will be my 27th year at Memphis in May. Um, but it's it's just been a – a lot of people label us as a competition or label me as a competition guy. We never did that many competitions. It was mainly just the world championship once a year. Okay. Um, so 1991 is when you first started competing. Uh, right. And how old were you at this time? Uh, I guess I was – uh, twenty twenty one. Okay, I think I don't and know. Then, I'm forty eight now. Okay, I, I can't do that math in my so, head. So <laughs> there is part of your story that I feel like is worth mentioning here. Kind of part of the brand of who you are. Uh, you were diagnosed with cancer, right? Um, so how did that impact your life, and how did you start living differently after that? Well, you know, if you ask somebody like my wife who knew me beforehand and then and knew me afterwards, we dated a little bit before I got my leg cut off, and a long time after I did. I was a very shy person until I was. Until I had that cancer, and um, I lost my leg the summer before my senior year in high school. Went through six months of intensive chemotherapy, and um, 
you know, it was, it was, it didn't make me sad or upset. I just kind of accepted it and said, well, you know, hey, shit happens, and what are you going to do? Mm. Uh, I had a pretty good attitude about it, but I, it does change your life. It changed my life in the fact that it made me uh, realize that life is short. Mm-hmm. You never know what's going to happen. And um, I was much more outgoing and have been since that happened. And so my personality changed dramatically after I had cancer and after I lost my leg. Uh, and then I used it to create a brand. And uh, I literally am the peg leg porker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I think is uh, there's genius to that. And maybe uh, as we get to the point, because at this point, when you're, when you're 18 years old, you're not thinking about your brand yet. Uh, but we, maybe when we get into that point where you start developing your brand, we, we dive into why you chose these uh, this name. So, okay, from 1991, 12 years uh, into, we'll say, uh, 2003, you're competing with this team. You start and you start competing on your own. What's going on in your mind um, about your, your personal brand at this time? I mean, when you're competing during 91 for that 12 years, were you thinking about breaking off and developing your brand at all during that time? I was. So... You know, when I was on Hog Wild, I, I was like, oh, you know, we need to change this and we need to change that. And if we would change this, we would win and this and that. And you think about that. And then I, I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, you know what? We're not changing that. This is Ernie's brand. He's yeah. the captain. Yeah. He has his product that he bottles, his sauce, his dry rub that he bottles. And it's, an, it's not going to change. Yeah. And, and I don't have the right to tell Ernie yeah. to change it. Um, if I want to change it, I need to start my own team. Yeah. And from our team, from Peg Leg Porker, we've had three other teams break off and start their own. I'm, Ernie was happy for me. Yeah, that was my and next question. like a proud father. Yeah. He and I are closer now than we ever were when we cooked together. And that same thing. That, and that same with me and the guys that have broken off from my team. If you want to change something, don't try and change the guy that started your team. He's got his own stuff. Go start your own team and, and have the strength to do that and develop your own flavors and your own profile. And so that's what I, I, I realized. You know, I kind of had an epiphany that was like, why am I trying to change Ernie? This is his deal. Yeah. I need to start my own, and Ernie will support me and, and be 100% behind me, and I can have my own flavor profile. Yeah. And what you just described right there is what the most successful restaurateurs do. Absolutely. They, they develop a brand, they have a restaurant, they mentor, they mold, they grow people, and those people will eventually go on and do their own thing, and they realize that. Or yeah. if they get along with that person, they say, hey, like you're going to go on and do your own thing. Let me help you do that. Absolutely. Can I invest in you? Like, Absolutely. And, and that's how you grow these massive restaurant groups. Um, but to, to, I digress. Going back to uh, your story with your mentor, how did you approach him and say, hey, it's, it's, I want to do my own thing? Like, Were you nervous? Like, did, Was he supportive? Like, How did that go down? Uh, no, he was a hundred percent supportive. It was a, it was a little, you know, I was a little nervous, saying, "Hey, I'm going to break off," but I knew he knew. I mean, as a mentor, you know. I mean, when I had guys on my team that were going to break off, I knew. Yeah, and you know, it was almost like How do you know. Well, you start to butt heads. Mm. You, I mean, you, because they start to try and get you to change, and then they realize, "Hey, I don't." I don't, you know, I don't have the right to make this guy change. Yeah. This is his deal, and so that's what's happened with me with some of the guys that have broken off from my team. They're like, oh, you know, we need to do it this way, and then you, as a good mentor, what you do is you just take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. And you sit back and you wait for them to have that epiphany yeah. where they go, 
you know what? I need to start my own team. Yeah. And and then you're like, you're right, you do. And and so there's nothing negative about it. Uh, like you said, some yeah. of the best restaurants. This is the way that it goes down in restaurants. Mm-hmm. So t- you you just you support them, and you say, you know what? You've worked hard enough. You've busted your butt enough, and you have your own ideas and your own techniques, and you need to foster that. You yeah. owe it to yourself exactly. to go out and have the confidence to do that. And if I can help you, and if I can be supportive, then I want to do that. Yeah. And and it's 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 one of the proudest things that you can do as a restaurateur or as a competitive uh, cooker is to watch somebody that you've mentored go out on their own and be successful. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. It really is. That's how we've gotten to where we are as a society is taking that knowledge, telling these stories and passing it down to the next generation, compounding off of what we have learned ourselves. They can take what we have taught them and build onto that. And then maybe even like that, that's how we grow as a, as a, as humanity. Right. So anyway, uh, 2003 is when you break off and do your own thing. I believe it was. So what was, it was painful. What was that like? Take us through (laughs) doing your own thing. We did. I didn't, you know, I thought, you know, you think, you know, everything, you know, you, I was like, Oh, I've been doing this for 12 years with hog wild shit. I know, I know how to do this. I'm gonna be the fuck. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna show them up. I'm gonna be yeah. better than they are. And we we rented a tent. We didn't rent a floor. We thought uh, we can do without a floor. Or we rented a floor, but only partially. So what, Memphis in May mean? it rains what every. Does that mean? It rains. Well, you at Memphis in May you have a big space okay. and um, you rent a tent and then you rent a. If you don't rent a floor, you're screwed. Okay. Well, I rented a floor, but only three quarters of the floor. And I thought, oh, on this last quarter, we're going to put pallets, and we're just going to put our stuff on there. It rained. And I don't mean, when I say it rained, it flooded. Mm. At Memphis Memphis in May, it rains every year, and it's a mud pit. You're right on the Mississippi River, and we had literally a river flowing through our booth, and it was the most miserable thing. I think it shorted out my stereo system. It it got all our shit wet. It was, I mean, it was miserable. <laughs> and I, I, I just remember thinking, "What have I done?" Was your mentor this there? Is, Ernie was t- uh, the next booth over, so we were we're always in the booth next to each yeah. other. Well, he was old hat. I mean, yeah. you know, he he they had a two story scaffold. They had everything covered. They were good. Yeah, we were miserable. It was. I mean, the first year was just shockingly <laughs> miserable. And I remember thinking, "What the hell have I done? This is the stupidest thing yeah. I've ever done in my life." Yeah. But it, you know, you learn from that, and uh, it. Uh, my daddy used to say, uh, "Nothing is ever uh, a complete loss if not to serve as a bad example." Yeah. And, you know, so and I love the saying: "Every master is once a disaster." Yeah, I so mean, like you got to start somewhere, but you, you never do. get better unless you start. Yeah, you got to start somewhere and then just keep showing up every year better. We learned a lot that year. Yeah. So yeah. how did you how did you take it from 2003 being a disaster uh, and, and scaling it? You know, ten years later, where you're opening your own place. Um, you know, it was a passion. I've been in several different businesses. I was in the clinical lab business. I had a gourmet mail order meat company at one point. I was in the IT world and I did consulting. And uh, we got we got people going upstairs to a construction site. It's not finished up there. <laughs> They're not supposed to be walking up those stairs. Oh man, we'll figure Some, it out. Oh, all right. Never mind. My catering girl's showing somebody. My okay. bad. <laughs> it's freaking me out. Um, it. Um, it just evolved, you know. It. it uh, I always wanted to open a barbecue restaurant, but I always swore that I would wait and never do it until I did not need to make a living at it. 
mm. so that I would never have to compromise. Yeah. And that's what you think. And what I ended up doing was when I sort of finished with the IT world, I had a, I had a break from the company I was with, and I was able to start consulting, which gave me the flexibility and freedom. My children, I've got three children, were old enough to where they could work in the restaurant. And at that point, my wife and I decided that we would take the plunge and open the restaurant okay. and make our dream of doing this a reality. So and you were in IT before this. That was your full-time job. Right. And that, that's how you supported the hobby of the barbecue. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I was a... I was in uh, IT. I was a contact center consultant and uh, and did IT with Verizon for uh, ten years. Verizon, MCI, mm-hmm. Digix, WorldCom, whatever you want to call them. We okay. went through the bankruptcy, all that. So there's a huge lesson in this, in that like you don't dive all in on day one. You don't, and then you let your your, the, you know, you. Am I wrong? You're making kind of a face. Do you, you disagree with that? No, no, no. I agree with it 100. percent Okay. I I spent that two years. Um, planning, doing uh, spreadsheet models, uh, consulting with friends. I, I was a member of the Southern Foodways Alliance and had met a lot of people in the industry. Um, and I went to those restaurateurs. I sat down with them. I showed them my plan. I showed them my, I, I, I completely catted out on uh, Google SketchUp, the entire mock-up of the restaurant. What year is this? Um, in 2011, probably. So two I think we opened in 2013. Yep. I spent two years writing a business plan, trying to find funding. I got turned down from every bank that I went to. I had some that wanted to do it, but we were right after the banking crisis, and yep. FDIC regulations wouldn't let them give mm-hmm. me the loan. Uh, I just didn't qualify. I finally found a private investor that I went to that was willing to put in the money. Um, and we signed a lease on a spot that's a block away from here. And we waited a year while they put somebody out. We knew they were putting this other person out. We really wanted the spot. It was highly visible. We waited. We waited. They, they put them out. We signed their lease. Um they changed it right before we signed it and made it shorter than we wanted. After we signed their lease, their family got together and tried to change the terms of their lease after we'd already signed it, a lease that they wrote. And so they came back to me and said, we want to change the terms of the lease. And I told them to go pound sand. I said, yeah, we're not, I don't do, I said, I don't do business with people who do business this way. Yeah. And I will never rent from you and get bent. Yeah. I'd use, I'd use stronger terms. But um, it was it was the darkest day of when we started. And my wife turned around and looked at me, and she was like, well, maybe it's all for a reason. And I was like, yeah, fuck off. I don't, I don't want to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> so like, ultimately, you removed yourself from this situation, and you chose not to do business with these people? We had, Yeah. So we had already looked at this building that we're sitting in right now. Okay. It was a commercial electrical contractor's house, and they had said that they would lease and lease to sell. Okay. We showed them the plans of what we want to do, and they turned around and they said, we're not going to lease, but we will sell. And I, I went to the business partner that I had. After you signed? Or we had already signed, signed that other lease, but we tore it up because uh, they okay. never countersigned. Okay, okay. Because they wanted to change it. Yeah. And so um, we came down to this building that we'd already looked at. These people had said, we'll lease to sell, and then they were like, no, we're not going to lease. We'll sell it. Okay. So I went to the business partner that was backing me, 
and I said, hey, do you want to buy a building? And we worked out a deal to buy the building, and we ended up buying it. Okay. And my wife was right. It was the best thing that ever happened to us. We got into this building right before the real estate went berserk Mm. in this neighborhood. And so now we own this building. It's 3,200 square feet, but now we're doing a 9,000 square foot addition. Upstairs. Upstairs. Upstairs and back. Okay. And I've since bought that. I bought that partner out within the first year. So I kind of want to talk about this partner. Uh, What made you think that this guy was a good guy to go into business with? How do you you choose a partner? You know, I've had some bad business partners. I've had... I've been in business and started several companies, and I've had some good partners, and I've had some shitty partners. And I have been royally screwed by business partners. So what makes a good partner versus a bad partner? What are some of the, char- the, the features and characteristics we need to look out for? This partner came in, respected what I was doing, did not try and change anything I was doing. He respected the work that I had done. He respected what we were building. He was loved the brand. Um, and he believed in me, and he didn't want to interfere. Mm-hmm. He was interjecting money, and that was it. Okay. And and um, he ended up getting a twelve hundred percent return on his investment. Wow. When I, I when I bought him out for the half of it that he owned of this building, he got a twelve hundred percent return on because his the market investment. just changed so the much. Market the value, went, the market went berserk. Wow. But you tell, but you know what? I'm grateful for him. For his investment, for his belief in me, not once did he ever say, "You owe me more." Well, no, not not once did he ever try and change what I was doing yeah. or try and interject himself into the situation. Nice. He believed enough in me to say, "Do what you do best," and I'm not going to screw with you. So, at this time, what did you do best? Well, we we had a brand that we had already established probably four or five years before we opened the restaurant. So people knew Pegleg Porker because I'm a loudmouth, and uh, and we had sort of screamed it from the rooftops. And so by the time we opened the restaurant, we were we were well known enough that people wanted to so, sort of seek us out. We're back here in the industrial part of the Gulch, which when we opened, there was nothing back here. Yeah. Um, and uh, he believed in me. He believed in the brand. I was able to explain it to him in a passionate way that made him excited about it. And uh, he invested in that. And, in fact, I talked to him two days ago. And um, we're, we're probably going to do some more business together. But uh, right now, you know, the restaurant and all of our companies, we've got seven operating companies, are all 100% family-owned and operated. It's me and my wife and our three children. And that's it. We're, which is a rarity these days in the restaurant business to not have a group or a you know somebody backing you. Yeah. So I want to go deeper here because uh, I personally believe in today's age you can be the best damn cook out there, the best damn barbecuer out there, pitmaster out there. Uh, it's not enough to make it. It's not. So when I asked you what you did best, I was wondering if you're going to say barbecue really good or develop the brand. I think what you're good at is developing that brand. We are. So I'm really happy that you said that. So talk us through that process of developing your brand. How did you develop your brand? Yeah, so uh, we we talked about it a lot. We established it. We were definitive about it. Hey, this is I'm the peg leg pork. This is our brand. This is our product. It's great product. Try it. You know, if you don't like it, tell us, let us know. But I tell people all the time, you know, they'll say, well, I want to open a restaurant. And I'll go, okay, well, 
what do you think? And they'll say, well, it's all about the food. And I'll say, no, it's not. You know what? People expect great food. When they pay you money to eat your food, your food damn well better be good. It's a given. You and have it's have a that. given. Yeah. But you know what? If you can't run a business, then you can't run a fucking restaurant. You, you can either... If you can't run a successful company, then you don't need to own a restaurant. Because it's not just about the food. It's about running a business. And... You know, it's, everybody talks about sustainability and farm-to-table and all this. And my buddy Donald Link down in New Orleans had the best line. You know, when somebody asked him about sustainability, he looked at him and he said, you know what's sustainable? A restaurant that can keep its fucking doors open. Yeah. You know, if I'm buying local to my detriment until I go out of business, it doesn't do any good for me or the farmer that I'm buying from. Because I'm putting employees out of work, and I'm putting that farmer out of work when I stop buying from him. Yeah. So... Buy smart. You know, buy what you need to buy to keep your business successful and keep the doors open. So for me, like you said, you know, do I think I'm a good pit master? Absolutely. I think I've proven that over the years. And um, But do I think I'm a good businessman? Absolutely. And, you know, I learned that from failing many times. And so... Those failures are what allowed us to succeed with this restaurant. And and those failures were not in the restaurant business. They were in other businesses. But those lessons, and by learning from those lessons, are what made us successful here. Mm. Because I knew the things that I didn't want to do. Yeah, I knew the mistakes I didn't want to make. Let's lean into that then. So you had all these failures that you learned from. Reflecting back at some of these failures, which, which failures gave you the biggest lessons? Um, you know, stepping out on a limb and just putting it all out there uh, without any backup plan. Um, you know, I, I, I told you that when we started this, I was consulting. I had a friend that was a CIO that I, that was one of my clients that I called on that was a CIO of a billion-dollar insurance company. And he asked me to be a consultant. I said, well, you know, I want to open my restaurant. And he said, absolutely, I know you want to do that, and I support you 100% come and work for me consult set your own hours here's what I'm going to pay you an hour in the first three months I saved him $500,000 a year so he was ecstatic but he gave me the flexibility to open the restaurant and be and be flexible with my schedule but so I didn't give up that job. I worked that job up until the week before we opened the restaurant okay so what I would say is hey if you got a day job, don't quit it. Mm. You know, don't don't just jump all in and because there are consequences to those actions. I've been broke probably three times in my life. Most of the times my wife was pregnant, like eight months pregnant. She's like, she's like, This sucks, mm. you know, you <laughs> suck. And um but you know uh, some people say, Well, just jump all in. You know what? If you got a good job and it's flexible enough to allow you to build what you want to do on the side, then you're always better building it on the side. Building the momentum. And build the momentum, yep. build the name. That's what we did with Peg Leg Porker. Yep. I was always working while I was talking about the Peg Leg Porker name, about our sauces, about our dry seasoning. And I did that for five or six years so that people knew our name, so that when we opened, we weren't an unknown. People were anticipating our opening. So how'd you get your name out there? I'm a loud mouth. I'm a were you, did you have <laughs> social a media is free. Okay, so, so you were using social media. We used, did you have a website at this time? Um, I don't think we, I don't know if we had a website at the time. I don't know. 
You're just making yourself present in the community, talking. Made to myself present, not just in the Nashville community, national. That's I had I had already aligned myself with some people that were movers and shakers in the food business. We had Lobel's as a sponsor. Uh, Lobel's in New York, which is a famous butcher shop, six generations on uh, the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And Evan Lobel was a personal friend that I had met through the meat business. He was a sponsor of my barbecue team. As soon as I broke off, Evan came on and joined the team. I had Mitch Gallant, who owned Wood Smoke Provisions, the the most renowned salmon company in the country out of Atlanta. Um, He was on board. Uh, You know, the T-shirt guy that I had worked for in college, uh, Robbie Lunday, he was on board as a sponsor for my barbecue. You know, so I networked and understood how to network and make those connections across the country, I joined the Southern Foodways Alliance. I met a bunch of other restaurateurs that could give me advice. When I was in the SFA and didn't have a restaurant, most of the people that I knew thought I already had a restaurant. They, they, were, they were surprised when they found out I didn't own a restaurant because yeah. I talked so much about the brand. Yeah. And I had koozies. I had hats. Yeah. I had shirts. And so swag. They already assumed that I owned a restaurant, yeah. and I actually didn't. I, and and those people gave me some platforms and some venues to build my name. Donald Link and Steven Striuski with the Link Group in New Orleans said, "Hey, come down here. We want to invite you to do Boudin and Beer, which is for the Emerald Lagasse Foundation. We invite fifty chefs from across the country to cook this event, and we want you to be one of those cooks." I didn't have a restaurant. I was nobody. Those guys believed in me enough and gave me that platform to get out there. And it's those types of connections that make you successful. Beautiful. I want to just chime in real quick and kind of reflect on what you shared with us. And then I want to dive into that idea of how you get, how you build that reputation, uh, the, the trust in these people. I mean, you can build your brand, but how are you building the trust to get these opportunities? I want to talk about that. Um, but what I love, I think a lot of times that people... They, they have like this vision of opening the restaurant, opening the restaurant, opening the restaurant. They put everything they have into opening the restaurant. But you don't want, you want that cash to determine your growth and that, you know, cash flow and people to determine growth. So start where you can and everybody needs to start with developing the brand. No matter where you are in the process of opening a restaurant, you're going to need a, a, a brand of people or a, a, a tribe of people following you. So get that brand out there. Yep. Uh, I think everybody, if you, if you really want to open a restaurant, the first thing you should purchase is a website. You know what I'm? Oh, yeah. Because that's your home base. That's your digital platform to stand on, to tell your story, to get Absolutely. that brand out there and then to, you know, read direct people back to that website to build your email list so when you are opening your restaurant like you have thousands of people to talk to and say hey come in this is what we're doing and like you can start that today for like ten dollars nothing for yeah. next to nothing yeah so get started developing that brand as soon as possible and then when you are ready to open a restaurant you're gonna have this massive following of people who know love and trust you and getting that that you know momentum when you actually open is gonna take off way faster um so Great stuff there. Um, I also love how you talked about your network and how having this network, they'll give you opportunities to further get yourself out there. So how did you develop trust with these people, not even owning a restaurant? How did you get them to give you these opportunities? What is it about you that that attracted these people onto you? I don't know, because I'm a fat, bald-headed, one-legged man, and most people are <laughs> repulsed by me. <laughs> they... You know, I met some great people that were that were genuine people, and I think that if you're genuine and you're an honest person, then then those people are gonna they're gonna respect you, and that's kind of what I did. Um, there are some people here in town 
that were very instrumental, whether they know it or not, in my opening this restaurant. In the fact that I decided what I wanted to do, I wrote a business plan, I went to some of them, and there are people that you interviewed some this week um, that that I was able to go to and say, what do you think about this? Mm. What do you think about this location? What do you think about this menu? What do you think about what I'm trying to do? And they were straight-up honest people that, that were like, oh, this is good, this is not good. One of them was Tandy Wilson, James Beard Award-winning chef here in Nashville. Tandy was great. He was a friend, and he had a successful restaurant with City House. It wasn't that old at the time, but he was completely honest and showed me um, what he, you know, what he learned and what he knew. Um, when I went for the business advice and my spreadsheets and all of my numbers, I went to Jason McConnell, who owns Red Pony, Fifty Five South, uh, Cork and Cow. Out in Franklin, the McConnell House. And Jason is one of the best restaurateur businessmen that I know in Nashville. This is Jason McConnell? Jason McConnell. Uh, and I went to Jason and showed him my spreadsheets and showed him the work that I had done. And he was like, you know what? This is, you know, this 99% of the people don't do this. Mm. A lot of people jump in the restaurant business and they're just like, I'm, I'm a good cook. I'm old. Yeah, that's crush this shit, <laughs> and they have no idea. Yeah, I was much more into the numbers, into how we're going to make it work, into the forecast, and I, I had taken every menu item that I had, I had broken it down into ounces, I had broken it down into cost per ounce, I had met with Cisco, I had found out what the food costs were, and so I knew what every plate of food that we were going to make in our restaurant yeah. was going to cost before we ever opened the doors. I just recorded this episode on recipe cards and building those, building up those recipe cards with David Scott Peters, and wow, like so much just attention to the detail. People don't and do that. You, you've got to. That's going to determine everything. I mean, I know restaurateurs that that went into business and they're like, oh, I don't deal with the numbers. I don't know what that's about. So one other thing that you mentioned real quick uh, on how you were able to surround yourself with this this group of people who are helping you out, giving you opportunities, you put yourself out there. Uh, and you need to let it be known what your intentions are because yeah. people can't read your mind. They don't know what your dreams are, what your aspirations mm-hmm. are. So if you're approaching people in your community saying, this is what I'm trying to do, I'm, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to do this, I'm a damn good you know, pit master, I don't have my brick and mortar yet, but I'm going to get there, they're going to come to you and give you opportunities that you wouldn't have otherwise gotten if you didn't put yourself out there and like you know let the universe know what your intentions are. Absolutely. I told somebody last night that's talking about opening a restaurant, I was like, look, I've got spreadsheets, I've got information that you need, and please call me and I will give you this information. Mm-hmm. All the work that I did to open my restaurant, I'm willing to share with you openly, uh, and I'm happy to. I've offered that to a lot of people that hadn't taken me up on it. And, you know, they're... They're floundering, and they're yeah. wondering why they can't get their restaurant open. Mm. If you're not willing to listen to the guys that have already been there and yeah. done it, then how how much do you really want to succeed? Do yeah. you love the idea of owning a restaurant, or do you want to do the hard work and the business of owning a restaurant? Yeah. Uh, one other thing uh, regarding your brand, and then we can move on. Sure. Um, so I had somebody on the show, Daniel Wu, who kind of took a unique path to get to where he is today with, as being a restaurateur. He owns uh, some, uh, sorry, it's just, just Dan Wu, but he owns some ramen shops. Right. And uh, he went on uh, Master Chef, and that's kind of how he got the momentum going. He was a, a good home cook, right? 
but he used that and what they taught him when he was auditioning and going through the process of getting on that show is find out who you are get super clarity on who you are and then do whatever or whoever you are as loud as possible so you're not changing who you are you're not pretending to be anybody but whatever unique characteristics you have that make you you figure out what those are and then bring those out and that's your brand and I feel like you're a beautiful example of that think about I'm an outspoken guy. Peg leg porker. Sometimes to my detriment. But you know, like, you know, you you have like something that's very unique about you, your story of. I literally am the peg leg porker. Yeah, you've got, you know, (laughs) you've got a, a, it's not a, do you call it your peg leg? It's a a prosthetic Uh, leg. Yeah. Carbon fiber and uh, and uh, titanium, but you lean into who you are, and you you know who you are, and you lean oh, yeah. into that, and it's a unique thing that separates you from other people. Sure, yeah, we got shirts that say "Limping Ain't Easy." I mean, yeah. you know, it's, <laughs> that is who we are. It, it's own it though. It like, is. It's a brand, and it's a lifestyle brand, and uh, we we want our team members here at the restaurant to believe in it and buy into it and be part of our family we're a family-owned operation we've got one restaurant and we would rather have one iconic location than 25 chain locations yeah um and that makes us a little bit unique in the industry right now and the fact that we're not backed by some big restaurant group makes us unique in the industry but we every picture in this restaurant on the walls are all of my family I saw and that. um when when you come into this restaurant, we want you to be part of our family. That's your, that's part of your family back there behind you. Oh, that's my buddy Big Mo Kason. <laughs> <laughs> I love Mo. He's a good friend of mine. And he get when we open up the restaurant, he's like, "Here's a. I want to give you a picture of me to hang up in red." And he gave me a twenty by thirty poster of himself. Looks like a badass Mofo. That's for sure. He's great. He's awesome. <laughs> and and we're talking to Mo. Mo's talking yeah. about opening his own restaurant, and um, and we've talked with Mo about. Hey, any information that you need that I can provide. And Moe's his own big personality. He's been a judge on Barbecue Pitmasters. He's worked with Smithfield, with Big Red, been on the Harry Connick Jr. show, Steve Harvey show. Uh, Moe has got the PR down. Um, when it comes to day-to-day operations of running a restaurant, um, you know, Moe and I talk a lot, and we're sharing every bit of information that we have with him because he's a friend and because we want him to succeed. Too. You and know, it will come back around. You never know. Absolutely. When you put that, that good stuff out there, it always comes back around. You don't know what he's going to do with himself. Yeah. You know, there's always room for collaboration in the future. Um, but I, I think I kind of derailed you from the original thing you were talking yeah, sorry. about. You no, know, that's me. That was all me. Um, so you were talking about the, the photos of your family. Uh, how does that resonate with what you're trying to do? Well, we, you know, our, I, I tell every team member in this restaurant that this is not just about the food. It's uh, not just about the atmosphere. It's an overall experience. So when you walk in here, the atmosphere needs to feel like barbecue. It needs to feel like a West Tennessee shop. Uh, we've got center block walls, concrete floor, no windows. Um, that's our vibe. We've got soul music and blues music on and uh, funk on. Yeah. And that's our vibe. Most places in Nashville that are barbecue places are barnwood and tin and country music. That's not our deal. That's not our vibe. Yeah. Our employees that are our team members are all part of the customer experience. And so from the cashier to the person on the line to the busser to the bartender, everybody should make you feel like you're walking into my house and you're a part of our family. And that's what we try and do here. And that's what I think makes us 
um, a great place to come is that you feel like you're part of the family. There's family photos on the wall, yeah. and when you leave, you feel like you're part of that family. Um, I love it, dude. I really do. You know, that that's our vibe. So before we kind of start thinking about wrapping things up, I want to talk into – we've been talking a lot about the, the marketing, the branding, the scaling, uh, getting clarity in who you are and how to project yourself into the world. What about scaling the business? I mean, I'm sure when you first opened, you weren't sitting at the bar. Uh, I'm sure oh. you probably were back there, uh, you know, oh, yeah. doing some, some hardcore barbecuing. So how did yeah. you get to the point where you could remove yourself from the day-to-day so you could work on other ventures like putting out – your, your sauces or did you have the sauce in the rubs on, on retail before we had the sauce and rub uh, you know before we yeah. opened but we have now expanded into we're getting a shipment today or tomorrow of our pork rinds which we've now bagged for retail uh, we started a line of smokers we started our bourbon company uh, our spirits company which has our, our bourbon and our drink fever um, but it you know it, it, it's when we first started Every single shift on every day, I was working every hour. Mm. I mean, it, it was for at least a year and a half, maybe two years, along with Steve Dresch, who's my, we call him my right leg man. He's my <laughs> general manager. Steve and I were here every shift of every day that we were open. And that was, and we I've done every job in this restaurant, including all my hands and knees, cleaning the drains, cleaning out the grease traps. I mean... If you're not willing to do that amount of work, don't open a restaurant. We've gotten to the point now that I've hired great team members to, that I, and you have to trust people. And one, you have to show them that you're willing to do the work and let them see that and understand that you're their team member, not just their boss. Yeah. And two, trust them to do a good job and give them the freedom to do to do that job and, and they're not always going to do it the way you want them to do it yeah. uh, but if they get the job done and they have the respect of their uh, of their team then that's what you can you know you need to at that point be a mentor and show them how you want it done and how to treat people with respect and to set the standards to, to show them this is how it should be done absolutely and, yeah. but, but if you can do that then you're able to step back and expand into different areas and different uh, you know things of the business and so that's what we're that's what we try and do here and and we've got a great team that understands that and they're bought in they they yeah. are peg leg porker for life hopefully yeah. so the, the approach you took was creating that that people dependent operation where you're basically developing these people and getting to the point where they're you're replacing yourself with these people because you you train them up what about the systems and processes did you did you start building those types of things to we had to learn that. Yeah. That's not an easy thing to do. No, it's tough. Uh, and we didn't start with that. Okay. When we, well, The day that we opened, the people that were plating our food had never seen the plate of food they were supposed to be plating. So, I mean, we literally just opened and we were like, here's how you do it. Like like the, <laughs> like the minute they had to do okay. it. Okay. So when did you start developing and realizing the, the significance of having those systems and processes and procedures in place? It's, if you can write out your processes before you open, it's great. Yeah, well, we even- didn't have that luxury. We we developed it as we went along, and I have to give a lot of that credit to some of my team members, some that are still with me, and some that have moved on uh, to go to other places. Uh, I had a girl that worked with me, Emily, that was my best cashier. Uh, we moved her into an administrative role, and um, she helped write down some of those processes and helped us 
you know, developed some training manuals. Um, she has since gone to work for my buddy uh, Elliot Moss over at Buxton Hall Barbecue in Asheville. She moved out of town. Um, but those are things that you just kind of sometimes develop on the fly yeah. once you've got the culture built. And um, if you can do it before you open, that's great. Well, here's but the if thing: if you can't, like, you you may just need to build it on the fly. And honestly, like you never, whatever you think is going to be the way things are done, it's, it's never. It's, yeah, you open, and then uh, I would say that you, you don't want to spend too much time getting you know uh, consumed by the systems, processes, procedures, no. because you're going to turn the key, and whatever you thought was going to be the way things were going to run. It's not going to be reality. It'll change. So just like start with the tentative, like okay, this is how we think it's going to happen. Don't go crazy, but get like a like a very rough idea of what it's going to look like, and then once you throw shit against the wall, see what sticks, yeah. and then start putting things in, like cementing them in place yeah. with those systems and processes, which takes a lot. It's hard work. It is, um, but you never know what, before you open how it's going to all flow. There's always things you don't consider. You don't now, and we're lucky that we're a single unit operation. If you're building multiple units and you don't have those processes, you're going to fail. Yeah. So before you ever think about having a second or a third unit, uh, you better have oh, those yeah. processes do- the, well yeah. documented. Absolutely. And a training procedure and mm-hmm. a training schedule. Um, we're like I said, we're one location, so we've been able to. We shot from the hip for a long time. Now we've got it a little more down, but it took a long time to get there. So we're fifty five minutes into this recording right now. Anything up to this point? That we haven't touched on, Carrie, uh, uh, an, uh, an area of expertise, a, a topic that's near and dear to your heart where you can provide some value you want to get into before we move on? Um, I don't know. There, there's, uh, <laughs> I, I think that, like you said earlier, you kind of have to be yourself and be true to yourself and be able to express yourself and be who you are. There's a lot of, uh, whether people know it or not, there's a lot of politics in food and in PR and um, it's a lot of bullshit. It is a lot of bullshit. <laughs> and um, you know what? Not everybody's going to like you. Yeah. And not everybody. And I, I read every single review that comes across the wire. Yelp, TripAdvisor, Google, they all come straight to my phone. My wife will tell you she hates it because I get upset when we get a low review. I answer a lot of them. Um, be, you know, be true to yourself and, and don't be afraid to speak your mind. Um, you know, be proud of your food and who you are, uh, but also be prepared to work your ass off and, and be prepared. The biggest thing that I would say, if you're thinking about opening a restaurant, take two years to prepare. Yeah. That's what will make you successful. Yeah. Uh, because uh, a lot of people just think, you know, a lot of people love hanging out in restaurants, and then they think, well, I need to own a restaurant. And what they may just need to do is say, I'm going to spend $30,000 a year at this restaurant to hang out at the corner of the bar and be a regular. And that's what I really want. <laughs> yeah. I really don't. You know, they have no business owning a restaurant. Yeah. Um, People don't realize that you're creating that experience. You are. You don't and see what happens to get to that end product. It's tough. And, and so I'm not saying don't open a restaurant. What I'm saying is if you want to open a successful restaurant, be prepared to work your ass off. Oh, yeah. And um, the thing about restaurants and food and this business is it never stops. Yeah. There is no, we're shutting down for a week and we're going off to Jamaica. Yeah. It's every day. And people eat every day. And so, you know, you got to be prepared that shit's going to go wrong every, no matter what day I have off. 
the day that I think that I have off, we're closed every Sunday. Yeah. I get a phone call. I mean, you gonna some shit's gonna go wrong. Yeah. And you know what? You just have to deal with it. No, one person said, uh, "Embrace the process." You have to because it's you're not going to change it, and you, I mean, you, you kind of just learn to have to coexist with what is the nature of the business. Uh, because if you want to be like, I mean, you can get to the point where you're proactive enough that you develop enough people, you have system dependent operations uh, where you can remove yourself and go on and start a new project. I don't, te- I don't really like those operations because I feel like what really brings out the the true essence, the, the the real glorious operations are the people behind the operation. If you remove yourself from that operation, you're removing the soul from the operation. I mean, that's yeah. kind of those are the kind of restaurants I like. People like to see you here. Yeah, look here. I mean, when people come in here, they want to see me here. Yeah, um, uh, and a lot of times they don't. We had an office off site for the past year because uh, we didn't have room to have to run the businesses that we were running here on site. My office here was an eight by six closet in the electrical room <laughs> and we but now that lease has run out we've moved our offices back over here on site I'll be on site here from now on but I tell you when my friends come in they're looking for me when people that have seen you on TV or seen you in a magazine come in they're looking for you I think we sat down for maybe 5-10 minutes before hitting the record button and at least 3 people approached you uh, <laughs> they want you here. Yeah. So, and, right. and that's why they're here. Yeah. I mean, this has been a great conversation up to this point. Carrie, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Everyone loves processing invoice after invoice. It's the best. <laughs> Not really. Just the sight of a filing cabinet is enough to make you sick, right? It doesn't have to be that way. With Sorcery, there's no more manually processing invoices by hand and no more cutting check after check. With Sorcery, you can organize all of your accounts digitally, scan your invoices, and pay your vendors with just one click. It is easy. Sorcery offers fully managed accounts and statements reconciliation, so you no longer spend hours on the phone with your vendors and banks. That stinks. You now have the peace of mind knowing your accounts are being taken care of, and you can get back to work doing what you love, running unstoppable restaurants. Go to GetSorcery.com, that's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com, or call 1-866-830-0691. Mention Restaurant Unstoppable and receive 10% off your first three months. And say goodbye to your old filing cabinet and hello to the digital world with Sorcery AP Automation. To be unstoppable, most restaurants require a little extra capital from time to time. It happens, right? Uh, when you need funding to like renovate or buy equipment or manage cash flow, you don't have time to just track down financial statements or wait weeks for a decision. And that is where Cabbage can help. Cabbage gives small businesses access to a line of credit of up to $150,000. And if you apply online, you'll get a decision right away, which is pretty awesome. Since Cabbage is a line of credit, you can take the exact amount you need. You'll never have to reapply to take out additional loans, and you only pay for the funds you use. Yeah, you're impressed, and I haven't even gotten to the impressive part. Cabbage has helped more than 130,000 businesses from every industry with over $4 billion in funding. Like, awesome. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and was named a Forbes Top 100 company not once, 
but twice. Check out Cabbage at Cabbage with a K dot com slash restaurant unstoppable and you'll get a $50 gift card when you qualify. That's Cabbage, K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash restaurant unstoppable. Line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. All Cabbage business loans are issued by Celtic Bank, a Utah chartered industrial bank member FDIC. We're back. And the first question I have for you, Carrie, is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, or a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? I think for me, it's just being myself and being true. You know, I, I cuss a lot. I'm pretty frank with people. And so for me, I think it's just being brutally honest and true with, with people. I love it. What is your biggest weakness? Uh, I'm a loud mouth. I, sometimes I talk too much, and uh, I need to learn when to shut up sometimes and Give listen to other people. Give me an example of a time where you uh, talk too much. <laughs> My last podcast with Black Diamond, the Black Meal <laughs> Diamond tribute artist. I cut him off every time he started to tell a story. And I listened to it this morning, and I felt like shit that I, was, uh, that I cut him off at every story. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the, the interview process? Um... I don't know. I, I look for people to have fun and be, you know, be themselves and, and be and be funny. Some people take themselves way too serious. What is your biggest challenge today? Um, gosh, I, you know, just trying to. I, I think my biggest challenge is trying to focus on the most important things and not spread myself too thin. I, I, I tend to want to get into a lot of different areas and grow in a lot of different areas that sometimes are not productive mm. and uh, it's detrimental rather than than uh, you know a compliment to the brand it's you need to focus on what you do best and sometimes your latest greatest idea is just more than you need to be so, trying to handle how do you prioritize where to give to where to put your attention how to focus on what's what's most important I don't know. I have trouble. I have trouble focusing on what I need to be focusing on. It's a. Uh, um, it's. Uh, I try and prioritize the things that make us a living, that make money. Uh, we're going in a lot of different directions right now, and sometimes it's tough to prioritize because you you want to do certain things, but at the end of the day, if you look at it objectively, and it's not making any money. And it's taking a lot of your time, then it may not be the best use of your time, and that's a that's a tough one for me. Um, and at that point, I think you need to look and say, well, is this something that's better outsourced, mm-hmm. uh, or do we really need to be doing this? Or am I the best at this? Yeah, am I the best at this, or can I hire somebody to do it better than me? Mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, if you want to run a successful company, you're always looking for the person that can replace you. And do a better job than you can. Yeah. And I just had uh, Thad and Jess Cottrell on the show from 101 Beer Kitchen on Columbus, Ohio. Well, yeah. They were on the show a couple, like almost a month ago, but it just went live last night and I was just editing it. And uh, Jess was talking about how she she does everything that's in her business, but only for a short period of time until right. she learns how to do it. And then she delegates it. So if, if somebody has to leave her company, she can go into that role and take over until she teaches somebody else how to do it. That's a great, uh, that's a great way to approach it. Yeah. And that way you're not, you know, when shit hits the fan, you're not screwed. 
because you've been you've you've worn all the hats. You can get, you can jump into any role if you have to. Well, and it's tough to look at your team that may be doing a job and tell them to do a job that you hadn't done yourself. Mm. And so for me, you know, I've done every job in this restaurant and with all of our businesses. And you know, if somebody gives me pushback on, I I can look at them and say, I've done that. Yeah. I understand what it entails. Yeah. <laughs> when I'm telling you what to do, it's because I've it's from the voice of experience. Yes. And I think if you're not willing to do that, then you're not a great owner. Awesome stuff, man. Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. And so this is like a core value: how to be, like how to you know how to conduct yourself. We want everybody that walks in this door to be treated like family. So for us, that's the mantra treat everybody like you would want to be treated and treat them like they're part of your family. Mm. It's about the experience. The, the, we can have an off day on the food. We can make mistakes behind the bar, behind the counter. But if you're, if you're treating people with respect and dignity and like they're part of your family or they're your guests to your family, then they can overlook those mistakes that you're ultimately going to make. And uh, they'll understand. Uh, they'll come to you and tell you you made a mistake and let you fix the problem. Yeah. And that's what we want here. Great. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your staff? So common within your restaurants, not common within the industry. One thing that we do that's uncommon within the industry and a lot of people are struggling with is we're fast casual. So you order at the, you order at the counter and then you, we call your name and you come up and get your food. Everybody in, in my restaurant, with the exception of the bartenders, is on tip share. So any tips that are left at that counter are split among everybody in the restaurant. Uh, the people on the line, the people on the pits, the people on the dish pit, and the people bussing the tables. Any tips that are left on the tables go straight into that tip pool. Uh, so when you tip at my restaurant... It gets distributed among everybody who was a part of your customer experience uh, at my restaurant. And so, and that's what we tell our employees. I don't want to hear anybody say, that's not my job. Uh, that's not a term that's accepted in this restaurant. It's everybody's job to make everybody's customer experience be great. And so, one, we pay above minimum wage uh, for our for our regular hourly rate and everybody gets that hourly rate except for you know bartenders uh, and they keep their own tips but then that tip pool when it gets divided among everybody it's a it generally averages around four dollars an hour per person so in addition to their pay which is already above minimum wage and is a fair wage we add that four dollars an hour of tip pool and so um, because they're all part of, they all touch the customer yeah. in some way, shape, or form. What is minimum wage in Tennessee? Uh, 715. Okay. And I don't think we have an employee making below $9 an hour. And then they get the $4 an hour on average with the tip pool. So, I mean, we got dishwashers making $13 an hour. And that's, that's the, you know, that's some of our lowest wage. Yeah. That's good. Man. Uh, so we, you know, they're, everybody contributes. I mean, so, that guy's cleaning your table, yeah. that guy's, talking to you he's giving you directions the people on our line are plating your food they got to make it look good they got to you know 
One thing I got to learn more about, because it gets kind of iffy, is tip pooling and who can share within the tip pool. But I think because it's you're a touchy subject, yeah, and there's a lot of legalities that go into that more than I ever knew existed before starting this. A podcast. lot of people gotten sued over. Yeah, but I feel like because because you're the fast casual and you don't really have a servers, you have food runners. You're mostly back of house staff, and then you have like that division of tip with the bartender I, I'd be curious to kind of look into that I'm so sure the bartenders get 215 an hour because they're yeah. bartending and they keep all their tips some people will tell you oh tip sharing is illegal mm-hmm. now we're not a fine dining restaurant so we don't just have one server waiting on the customer yeah. our kitchen is open you yeah. see you can look right now and look through the kitchen so in my opinion uh, and I'm willing to back it up with my attorneys if we ever get challenged on it all of my people see, touch the customer. And so they're all part of that customer experience. So in my interpretation of the law, tip pooling is fine here because it's implied that the tips are shared among the entire staff. Yeah, and you're paying the customer. a minimum wage, so it's just extra. Absolutely. Yeah, cool. Uh, I'm not an expert on the subject. I would like to learn more, but uh, it is definitely a tricky uh area and i think every state's oh, yeah. a little different too. oh they are yeah so okay what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator um i'm not i, I hate i read articles because my attention span is short <laughs> what's your favorite art your favorite magazine or your favorite source i just I, I look at articles every day when i start the day i try and catch up on the recent news i did actually just listen to a book on tape um that I thought was a great book, and it's the first book I've probably read or listened to in 15 years, full book, The Anatomy of Peace. The Anatomy of Peace. Yes, and it was a great book, and it's a great book for life lessons or as a business owner. It allows you to um, understand what's going on with yourself and how to deal with other people Mm. and have a heart that's at peace instead of a heart that's at war. Sounds like emotional intelligence right there. <laughs> and, uh, I'm curious. This is your first book on tape? It was, yeah. I, I downloaded audible.com, Dude. and it was great. It was <laughs> you are awesome. going to be changed. It was uh, great. I started listening to the audio books when I became an assistant winemaker yeah. uh, five years ago, and and it literally changed my life. Oh, it's great. It's so great. You are I, don't, I fall asleep when I read. You're going to be an avid reader now, yeah, just so you know. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> an avid listen slash reader. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, just a, a selfish plug here. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com. I'm sorry. That's not right. Head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. They are an affiliate of mine, and uh, okay. audiobooks have changed my life. It sounds like you're a new adopter, and you're, you're feeling yeah. the love from the audiobooks. It's incredible. Yeah. So if you're not a member to audio, uh, sorry, Audible, uh, check it out. It's, it's definitely worth it. Uh, and please use my link. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, share an online resource or tool that uh, you leverage. Um. Gosh, I don't, you know. This isn't the question for everyone. I know. I, I don't. Which is why I'm asking the question so we can start sharing some of the tools that are out there to, to make us a little more, you know, yeah, efficient. I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, what online tool. I mean, I, I use online mainly for news and and for email. I don't, I'm trying so to think of a tool. So what's your favorite news resource? Is it local news or I'm a, you know, news? look, I look at, I look at, so I, I go every morning, I look at, Drudge Report. I'm sure that'll piss a lot of my restaurant friends off. Um, I look at uh, my local business journal, the Nashville Business Journal. I look at um, 
uh, the Nashville City Paper, which is uh, uh, you know online, and you have to have a subscription to that, and as well as the Business Journal. Um, you know, a, a lot of different news resources. I look at the the local newspaper. Um, you know, it it just. I think if you start your day and you catch up on a, on the local on the local and national news, and you just get a just a handle. You don't have to read every article, but just get a handle on what's happening. Then you're able to hold a more intelligent conversation with people around you. Yeah. And and I encourage you to look at all different resources. So look at both sides of the view of the of the article. Don't yeah. just look at your if you're conservative, don't just look at your conservative news. If you're a if you're a liberal, don't just look at the liberal news. You know, look at them both and then decide for yourself and you know, when your customers come in, you'll be able to hold an intelligent conversation with them or bring up a topic that might make a connection. Beautiful. I love it. Uh, <laughs> what's one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurant, and uh, how has that influenced operations? So this is like technology within the restaurant, whether it's labor management or any kind of tool you're using to improve communication, yep. systems, processes, things of that nature. We uh, One, we like to communicate as much as we can. We have a weekly meeting with all my managers. Uh, and I think that's important for everybody to get on the same page. Uh, we use a kitchen display system. A lot of people still use tickets. Um, having those screens, for us, moving the volume that we move is very important. I'm looking at the kitchen display system right now from the bar from about 50 yards away. And um, when, when those screens go from green to red then I know there's a problem in my kitchen. And that happens at four minutes. Mm -hmm. So we have under a four-minute ticket time. And on a Saturday where we might do 2,200 covers, I can sit at the corner of this bar and I can look across at my open kitchen and I can see that screen and whether it's at green or red and know whether my kitchen staff is behind and needs help or whether they're pumping out the yeah. tickets the way that they should. So what what tool do you use? What what system are you going with the two? We're on, we're on Dinerware right now as our POS, and it's got a kitchen display system. We're about to, we're actually making the transition to Square. Okay. Uh, it's going to be new for us. That's uh, We're hoping that it goes well, but we think that it will. Um, so why did you choose Square over the other options? I chose Square because we already use it for off-site stuff. Uh, I can use it on on Apple or Android, and I'm a I'm a, a Windows and an Android user rather than an Apple user, so I can use it on my phone. If the worst case scenario, if my entire system goes down, I can log in on my phone mm-hmm. and still ring in tickets. Okay. Whereas right now, if my system goes down, we're going to a paper system. Yeah. And so, I think that Square has gained enough momentum in the market. To where they're going to continue to advance forward. Yeah, there are so many competitors in this field. Yeah, and so many choices. They've all got their own features and this and that. Square has become so ubiquitous that they can't help but grow. They have to. Yeah, to keep their user base happy. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that they were there when we opened. We couldn't have used Square as a POS. Now, after five years, I think they're where they need to be. So, is your like your digital display going to be able to uh, incorporate? Is it going to play nice with that that kitchen display? Square Square does not have their own kitchen display uh, built into their system right now. They're supposed to come out with in the fourth quarter of this year. Uh, Fresh uh, Hospitality, who's actually based here in Nashville, 
who we have several friends that are in business with them, uh, have a KDS module that uh, is incorporated with Square. Okay. So for a monthly subscription, we can uh, subscribe to the KDS module or the kitchen display module for Square from Fresh here in town. So those two technologies sync up and they'll sync up and work together. Okay, but it's because we couldn't go. You know, Square was like, "Well, you could just go back to tickets in the kitchen." I was like, "No, no, no, silly rabbit. Tricks are for kids." Solution. No, that is not. We have moved away from. We're not going backwards. We're you know. So we'll use the Fresh um, uh, KDS system in cooperation with Square uh, moving forward, and then as soon as Square has their own. Uh, we'll use theirs. I love Square. I think Square is a great product. It's a very simple product, which is good. Yeah. Uh, it's easy to get going. It's a very tight, well-functioning platform uh, for the reasons you explained. Like They are slowly scaling into the other features, which a lot of bigger, more robust operations need. Yeah. So they're not quite there for that kind of stuff. Right. Um, if you haven't committed, I would look into Toast. Uh, the toast rep was in yesterday, and yeah. I, I told him that we had committed to Square. Okay, because um, they're but, another but great we've platform. got iPads, and so if we needed to move to Toast, we could very easily. I like the fact that no, Square. I thought, I thought Toast was uh, was Android bit. Oh, is it? Yeah, I don't know. Well, anyway. which is why I mentioned it. Yeah, we're. I mean, our main terminal for for Square is going to be an Android terminal. Yeah, and then all of our ancillary terminals are going to be iPads. Okay. But so it uses both, which I really like. I'm a fan of all those platforms, honestly. Yeah. And no two restaurants are exactly the same. Five years ago, they yeah. weren't there. Exactly. These wireless yeah. systems were not. When we first looked at them, they were just not there. Yeah. And it's the way of the future. So yeah. you might as well. You, eventually, you're going to have to make the change. You might as well do it now. And you know, especially with the CPI or the PCI compliance issues yeah. that are coming up. Well, and with us doing this expansion, we had to make a decision whether we wanted to buy more terminals from Dinerware. Um, Dinerware got bought by Heartland, the credit yeah. card processor, and that was uh, a little bit disheartening for me yeah. in the fact that their agenda kind of changed. Yeah. Okay. And we've been very happy with Dinerware. It's a great platform. It's served us well. It's done a great job. Our local provider that, that services it, uh, DCR, has done a great job. But it's just it's time for yeah. us to move to something to where... If something breaks down, I can pop a new $500 yeah. pad in there and be done yeah. rather than spend $800 on replacing a hard drive. Absolutely. So <laughs> yeah. it was uh, the kitchen display that you're going to be using in conjunction with Square was called? Uh, it's it's uh, from for, it's from Fresh Hospitality. Fresh Hospitality. Got it. Cool. Awesome. All right. This is the last question. If you got the news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow, all the memories of you, your work, and your uh, your restaurants your, would be gone with the exception of three pieces of wisdom or truth that you know to be true that you can tie to your legacy into, and for the good of hospitality in the, the restaurant industry. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Oh, wow. It's, it's a hard. deep one, man. Yeah, it's deep. Jeez. I think the first thing I'd say was can't, never could. That's my, that's my mantra that I like to use. Um... Second would be, you know, be honest and be true to yourself. Uh, and then third, I guess, you know, would be, I told my mom I wanted to be a millionaire when I was a, probably 13. And she looked at me and she said, work your ass off. You know, if you, you know, be honest, work your ass off if you want to succeed. And uh, 
can't, never could. Beautiful. You know? Love it, man. This has been <laughs> a great conversation. I wrap up every interview by calling somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator? Somebody you admire in this industry and believe needs to be made an example of as a guest mentor like you've done for us today. Uh, well, you've, I think you've interviewed uh, two or three of the folks that I would say. I would say Hal Holdenbeish. I'd say Trey Siachi. Got him. Uh, I'd say Tandy Wilson. Got him. Um, you know, <laughs> and, Jason, and Jason McConnell. I haven't gotten Jason. You need to talk to Jason. Jason, he's, uh, look out, man. I'm coming after you. He's, he's kicking ass and taking names. He's doing a great job. All right. And let the folks at home know if we want to uh, check out uh, what you're up to. Uh, maybe come join your team from the area or maybe just uh, check out your, your social handles. What's the best way to connect? Uh, at Peg Leg Porker is our handle on Instagram and on um, Twitter. Facebook.com uh, slash peglegporker um, and our website www.peglegporker.com We're about to launch a new website. You can find our products on Amazon. Uh, just search for Pegleg Porker and you can find our podcast live from Bullshit Corner on uh, iTunes and Spotify under Pegleg Porker live from BS Corner. And what are some of those products that you you carry? Just in case people are, you might pick an each. We got T-shirts, we got hats, we got sauce, we got dry seasoning. Uh, we have a line of smokers, uh, and we have Peg Leg Porker Tennessee Straight Bourbon, uh, eight year old, twelve year old, and then we've got another drink called Fever, the citrus flavored shot. Thank you again so much, Carrie Bringle. You were. Amazing. Uh, I really did enjoy this conversation. Great advice. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. I appreciate it. <laughs> Cheers. Well, there's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Carrie Bringle, man, great stuff today. Great conversation. Great energy. Uh, where do we start? Episodes like this are so hard to track down just one or two or even three big takeaways. There's so many takeaways from this conversation. But for me, I think the big one was with scaling, uh, starting where you can, uh, starting small. And for Carrie that was working on a team, uh, barbecue, a barbecue team, it's just being a part of a team and slowly growing from there to the point where he had his own team to the point where he was planning for his restaurant. He didn't just dive into it. He spent two years planning, two years getting the numbers down, two years surrounding himself with other passionate restaurateurs in his community, getting the help, aligning his personal brand with other personal brands. And on that note, what a great personal brand this guy has. And I think that's one thing that uh, we can all start working on today. Uh, If you have aspirations of opening your own restaurant, you're going to need a brand. You can start growing that brand today. So get out there, get a website, uh, start telling your story, start aligning your brand with other brands and give your community a taste of who you are now. Uh, There's no reason to wait for that. that. That's something that, you know, will help you dramatically when you open your doors. If you have that brand, that following from a very early stage. Uh, Then lastly, I think the big takeaway that's worth drawing attention to now is just, again, I mentioned it earlier, but just going to mentors who are successful in your community, uh, talking to them, they will help you. Uh, you know, I've noticed that the most successful people in this industry are successful because they're so willing to help other people and it comes back around and that's why they're successful. So get out there, uh, start asking for help, start 
picking the brains of, of those in your community. And then remember, uh, when you're successful, it's your responsibility to pay it forward and do the same for those who come to you. So awesome stuff today. Like always, guys, please do reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Eric Cacciatore on Instagram and Twitter in slash restaurant unstoppable on Facebook. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me how I can serve you best. Uh, tell me what lessons you want me to cover. I'll get an expert on the show. And uh, yeah, keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They help so much. But the best way to support Restaurants Unstoppable is by spreading the word. Share this resource with anybody you know aspiring to be great in the industry. And uh, you are the average of the five people you surround yourself with. And this is probably... One of the easiest ways to surround yourself with the best in our industry. So that's all for today. Thanks for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.